Wrong side. Thank you very much. Great. Well, it's great to be here. And seeing as it is Christmas, I thought we'd have a bit of festive fun. Is that okay? Okay. So what I thought, we'd have a little bit of a laugh at the start. I've got here a box of tricks, lots of Christmas paraphernalia, and Christmas tat is inside this box. And what I thought I'd do is, as I take each item out of the box, if you like that particular Christmas item, cheer loudly and we'll keep it in Christmas. But if you don't like it, if you think it's a bit naff, Boo loudly and we'll put it in the bin. What do you think? Okay, I need one volunteer. First person who puts their hand up, I can see. Anybody with their hand up? Want to come and help me? I need one volunteer. One, anyone? All right, come on, I can't see anything. Come up here. First person up here is going to be my volunteer. I can't see a, can't see a single thing. Have, have Santa's bag wherever you are. Anyone? Help me? No? Nobody wants to help me? Okay. Come and hold this bag, my friend. What's your name? Josh. Come over here, Josh. Give Josh a round of applause. Come on, stand over here, Josh. Josh, you're going to be Santa's little helper. You just stand there and look festive. That's all you've got to do, okay? Right, here we go. First item, remember, if you like it, cheer loudly. If you don't like it, we'll put it in the bin. Boo loudly. First item is my turkey hat. What do you think of this? Oh, come on. I paid good money. Oh, they don't, they don't like it. They don't like it. It's going in the bin. Next item... Stocking for the dog. Yeah. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Listen, let's have a look inside. Stocking for the dog. Ho, 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 dog biscuits. Yeah. No, no, no. Now, listen, listen, listen. It's a picture on here. It's a picture of a dog. It's a dog. The dog doesn't know it's Christmas. It's going in the bin. It's going in the bin. Oh, okay, all right, all right. You like, you, you're a dog-loving bunch. It's going, it's going in Santa's bag. You're happy now. Okay, next item. This will sharply divide opinion. Some Brussels sprouts. Okay. Brussels sprouts. These, these items are otherwise known as the devil's grapes. All right, firstly the cheers. Let's see who's louder, cheers or boost. Firstly the cheers. Cheer for the Brussels sprouts. That's it. Enough. Now the booze, boo. Go in the bin. Go in the bin. Okay, next up, Christmas pudding. Some people don't like Christmas pudding. They like Christmas pudding, it's going in there. Next item, now here's a mystery. A satsuma in your stocking. Now, think about it. These items come in your stocking from Father Christmas who lives in Lapland near the North Pole. Satsumas don't grow near the North Pole. And that, as every parent knows, is one of life's great mysteries. <laughs> All right, next up, what have we got here? We've got, now this is a bit of a strange one, we've got a four-way adapter plug. <laughs> and you might well say, hang on, Adrian, what's that got to do with Christmas? My friend, you would never ask that if you're one of those blokes who's got 10,000 external lights on the front of your house. <laughs> we are talking, folks, Christmas house bling. Now... Let me ask you this. If you live in a cul-de-sac and you and your neighbours have got so many flashing lights on the outside of your houses that you've actually got jumbo jets landing accidentally in the street, you have just taken Christmas a step too far. They're going in the bin. All right, what else have we got? Christmas cracker. Everyone likes Christmas cracker? 
There are, of course, two things in the Christmas cracker. The first thing, of course, is a paper hat. Paper hats, superb Christmas things. Some people take a lot of trouble over their appearance at Christmas. Other people don't bother. It's just like any other day of the year. But the truth is, even if we've taken a lot of trouble over our hairdo, once we've all got paper hats on, we all look equally ridiculous. It's something superbly democratic about it. One other thing in a Christmas cracker, of course, Christmas cracker jokes. Oh, yes. All right, so here we go. First Christmas cracker joke this afternoon, folks. How does good King Wenceslas like his pizzas? Deep pan crisp and even. We like that one. All right, next up, next Christmas cracker joke. Who looks after Father Christmas when he's ill? The National Elf Service. Hey. Last one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Hannah. Hannah, Hannah Partridge in a pear tree. Woohoo! All right, that's enough of that. A cracker. We'll consider that one in the bin for the sake of the jokes. Last item in the Christmas box is a bin bag. And you might say once again, what has that got to do with Christmas? You would never ask that if, like me, you are a 41 year old bloke with four kids. Because on Christmas Day, my job, as the presents are being opened, is... I'll tell you, it does, does detract from the talk, doesn't it? I'm the hat on. Um, my job, as the presents are being opened, is to go around and put... How many other dads, this is your job? You put all the wrapping paper which is being thrown on the floor. Yeah, dads, okay. In the, in, now, this is actually quite a good job to have, because the alternative adult job at this stage on Christmas morning is to run around... After all, the kids saying, who's that from? Who's that from? And the truth is, when you're a kid, you don't care who it's from. Anyway, so we're going to put that in a good bag. Well done, Josh. Give him a round of applause. Thank you very much. You can go now. Well done. Oh, give it back to me. Give it back to me. Well done, my friend. Now, the, here's the reality of, of my Christmas uh, memories. If, if you're honest, when I was a kid, the thing I, I was really excited about about Christmas was the fact I get free stuff. I mean, think about it. When you're a kid, you wake up in the morning, you go downstairs, you get free stuff. It's a great day. Now, the reality is that um, I would always, every year, have the excitement of wondering whether this will be the year when I get my one big present from my parents. You see, every year, a month before Christmas Day, my parents would ask my sister and I to make up a Christmas wish list. And the truth is that you put the thing you wanted most at Christmas at number one, and then they sort of go down to little things. My sister really perfected the art of this. And the art of this is to really go big on your number one ask. In other words, if what you really want for Christmas is a kitten, start off by asking for a horse. (laughs) That's the trick. So she got really good at this. Most of the time, we never got our number one present. But you never knew, because some years we did get a big present. And every year you're wondering, could this be the year when my seemingly impossible dream comes true? Now, let's just imagine that the words of our opening carol, O come all ye faithful, really are true. What if God really did become a baby? What if the real God was now in flesh appearing? What if every single word of the carol we just sang is actually true? That would mean that every single one of us here tonight could have our number one wish. What's our number one wish? We would love to live forever in a paradise that we don't deserve. That can happen if it's true. 
We'd love evil to be eradicated one day. We'd love pain and suffering to be banished. And we'd love every wrong to be righted. That can happen if it's true. If it's true, then every single one of us here tonight would have every reason to actually really genuinely and truly be joyful and triumphant. You know, the astronaut James Irwin, who walked on the moon, he said this, the most amazing thing in the universe is not that a man walked on the moon, it is that God became a man and walked on the earth. And that, folks, is reason for us to celebrate. One of the things that I love uh, about Christmas is all the, the presents and the shopping and also the Christmas adverts on the telly. You like the Christmas adverts on the telly? Well, I heard this one about for Seiko's men's watches. Seiko's men's watches. And the voiceover goes like this. It's not your aftershave. It's not your handshake. It's your watch that says most about who you are. Now, just help me for a second. Why don't you, as I'm speaking, look down at your own watch? Have a look at your watch. Don't look at me. Look at your watch. Are you looking at your watch? Don't look at me. If you're looking at me, you're not looking where you're supposed to be looking. Look at your watch. And as you're looking at your watch, according to Seiko, it's your watch that says most about who you really are. Have a thought about that. Now, don't look up. Now look either to your left or to your right. Look at your neighbor's watch. The person next to you. Look at their watch. Folks... It's their watch that says most about who they really are. And some of us right now are thinking to ourselves, you know what? I think I need a new watch. <laughs> oh no, that's exactly what Seiko want us to think. And other of us are thinking, others of us here are thinking, I haven't got a watch. <laughs> who am I? <laughs> you know, at the start of the New Testament, for 400 years, between um, 400 BC and 0 AD, God hadn't said anything. God's children, Israel, hadn't heard anything. But still, Israel had not given up hope. They knew that God wasn't finished with them yet. They knew that God would pursue them because he promised so many times that he would. And then suddenly, after 400 years of radio silence, an angel appeared and spoke to a teenage girl. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Just imagine tonight, for just, a, just one minute, that you are Mary. Imagine you spent the whole of your life hearing about God. You have memorized numerous passages from the Old Testament. For as long as you can remember, you've been told that God is the almighty creator of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's one of the verses that you've memorized. 
Just think of Mary looking up at the night sky in the Middle East. Now remember, when she looks up, she can see many more stars than we can today because there is absolutely no electric light pollution. We can imagine Mary using these psalms that she'd memorized to praise God in starry-eyed wonder. Now we know that if you were traveling at the speed of light, which incidentally is 300 million meters per second, it would take you 2 million years at the speed of light to get to the nearest galaxy to ours, which is Andromeda. And Andromeda is only one of 80 billion galaxies in the observable universe. But those 80 billion are only some of the galaxies that actually exist in the universe. Mary would have believed that the universe had had a beginning because Genesis 1 verse 1 had told us so. Today, now, thanks to the work of people like Edwin Hubble and Albert Einstein, even the skeptics now agree and admit that the universe did have a beginning. We know that gravity and electromagnetism just popped into existence out of nothing and were perfectly matched. The strong and the weak nuclear forces also conveniently just popped into existence, but were perfectly matched in their numbers. The same is true of protons and electrons, matter and antimatter. All of these elements just turned up and were perfectly finely tuned to each other in their relative values. If any one of hundreds of elements had been a little bit smaller or a little bit heavier, the universe would never have formed. One commentator wrote, the most amazing thing about the universe is that it exists at all. Where did such a finely tuned universe come from? And who was powerful enough to bring it into existence? Now Mary had read in her Bible that God is greater than his creation, not less than his creation. The potter is greater than the pot, not less than the pot. So, if God is the potter and the universe is only the pot, imagine Mary's surprise as she's just been told that the potter is going to come and live inside her, actually inside her womb, in a human being inside her womb. Mary's Bible told her that God is immortal, immutable, unapproachably holy and unfathomably wise. Now she's told that all of these attributes and many more are going to be contained and compressed within a human embryo inside her body. C.S. Lewis described the infleshing of God or what theologians call the incarnation as the grand miracle. Now, Lewis argued like this. This is the guy who wrote The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and the Narnia Chronicles. He said this, Look, creation really is a very impressive miracle, but to be honest, if God's really God, we would expect God to be able to create the universe. Lewis said, Look, the resurrection of Jesus is a very exciting miracle, but to be honest, if God really is God, you'd expect him to be able to break the power of death. But Lewis said that the incarnation was the grand miracle, because when you think about how vast and holy and powerful God is, you would never expect him to limit himself inside a human embryo. But that's what God did. The great German reformer Martin Luther, he called Mary's womb the workshop in which God works. 
Mary watched the very Son of God grow inside her tummy. She felt God kick inside her womb. Mary nursed God as an infant. Mary helped God to learn to walk and talk. Isn't that amazing? The wonder of Christmas is that the infinite has become an infant. The transcendent has become the imminent. The Spirit of God is now living in a body. The Holy One has humbled Himself and been born in a cowshed. The pre-existent Word of God has limited His omnipresence somehow, His everywhereness, so that He can become human like you and me. But you know what I want to know? Why on earth would God do that? Why would God do that when he doesn't have to? He doesn't have to become a human being. Why does God choose to suffer when he doesn't have to? The truth is that God looked down at the drama of human suffering and decided to dive in. God chose to suffer with us. The truth of Christmas is this. It proves that God does care after all. God chooses to become one of us even though he doesn't have to. He cared enough to come down and through his death and resurrection, he's now willing to take us back with him to heaven. You know, rather than looking at the incarnation as just a kind of a show of moral support, I'm kind of identifying with you poor humans, it would be more helpful for us to view Jesus' arrival like this. It was like a massive jumbo jet landing in Bethlehem. And there are so many spare free seats on this plane that every single person in Hastings and every single person in the whole of the world, if they want to, can get on board with Jesus and fly back as he pilots us through his death and resurrection all the way back to his heaven, if only we want to get on board. Jesus offers us a free ticket. I don't know about you, but I've received a lot of Christmas presents over the years. I couldn't honestly say that any of them have actually changed my life. But here is a Christmas present that actually did change my life. Christ. Christ is a present that did change my life at Christmas. All the others are superficial. Now you may be amused to know that last year I chose for the first time in my life to go on a diet website. Ever done that? It's a scary thing. And so you go on the internet and the first thing it says is enter your name. I think, why do you want to know that? Right in my name. Then it says, enter your height. I think, why do you want to know that? Enter my height. Enter your weight. The one question I was expecting, enter my weight. Enter your age. Enter my age. And then there's this little button that says, calculate. And I press the button that said, calculate. And then this little egg timer goes up or on the screen. And I tell you, the pressure was absolutely enormous. There's things turning around. Then eventually, these words appeared on the screen. Mr. Holloway, you are mildly obese. And that phrase just started churning around in my mind. Mr. Holloway, you are mildly obese. You know, when I'm doing my teeth in the morning in the mirror, I'm looking at myself, Mr. Holloway, you are mildly obese. And I tell you, this really did a number on me. Like, I'm going outside my house, I'm going to the bus stop, and there's a, little, there's a mum with a little son walking along the street. And as I turn, they're behind me, and I'm going to the bus stop. I can kind of picture the little boy, and he's pointing. Mummy, mummy, look over there. Look at that bald man. He's mildly obese. <laughs> And then mummy says, yes dear, and if you don't want to end up bald and mildly obese, you'll do as I say. 
And he's like, oh, oh yes, mommy, I will, I will. But you know what? No diet has ever delivered what the arrival of Christ at Christmas promises. Peace with God. No diet can give you peace with God. Hey, listen, I never thought in a million years that I would ever want to even go to church, let alone do what I'm doing now. I thought this was all far too good to be true. But when, like the shepherds, I went to investigate a little bit and find out for myself, I was surprised by joy. I discovered this. You can become a Christian without committing intellectual suicide. That was a great discovery for me. You and I can actually stand by a manger and there, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. That you can actually hail the incarnate deity. And that, for me, was a wonderful discovery. So in our story, the angel tells Mary nothing is impossible with God. And if nothing is impossible with God, I wonder if I could ask you, what is your dream this Christmas? Speaking personally, my dream was to marry Julia Brown. But why on earth would Julia Brown want to marry me? After all, I was four and a half years older than her. Was that a little bit too much? Also, all my friends told me, she's too good looking for you. And when I looked in the mirror, I realized they were right. That's the truth. And so it was, folks, that I hid in the bushes planning my first ever burglary. My mission was to break into Julia's parents' house and steal her passport. Here was my plan. I thought if I can whisk Julia away and propose to her in Paris, then if I can up the romance level high enough, she might say yes, brought on by a kind of disorientated daze, brought on by the excitement of the Eurostar. This was my plan. And so... And the reality was at the time she was a secondary school biology teacher going through an Ofsted inspection and I created an elaborate deception by asking her to pack a bag for a weekend's grouse shooting in Kent. Now, the truth is that I got somebody to write a a totally fictitious letter of invitation. I got my friends to impersonate other grouse shooting guests who don't actually exist. Um, The truth was that there was no house house party, there were no grouse, and I cannot shoot. The whole thing was part of my master plan to propose in Paris. All I needed was her passport. Eventually the great day arrived and uh, I drove her down to Ashford International train station. We veered off the M20, we parked up, and then in a restaurant in Paris, I got down on one knee and I asked her, will you marry me? And she said, yes, which just proves that nothing is impossible with God. (laughs) That was my dream. What's yours? No, really, I really would like to know, what is yours? You say, Adrian, I don't know. Uh, I want to be happy. I'd love to have a fulfilling job. I'd love to believe that my life counts for something in the greatest scheme of things. If I could have one loving, lasting relationship with one other person, and maybe we could have a family, that would be great. What's your dream? You see, with God, 
nothing is impossible. You see, there is hope. Perhaps that is the greatest message of Christmas. There is hope. Joseph had a dream, didn't he? His dream was to marry his wonderful fiance Mary, but then it all went wrong. Turns out she's pregnant, and he knows for a fact it's not his. And so he has in mind to divorce her quietly, and then an angel appears and says, no, 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 don't divorce her. I know it's not your child, but actually it's no man that she's been with, it's the Holy Spirit that's been with her. Yeah, unlikely, but true. It's the Holy Spirit, so don't divorce her. In fact, call him Jesus, because it's a play on words, he's going to save his people from their sins. And you know what? That is a dream come true for all of us. The shepherds were told the same thing. Today, in the town of David, a saviour is born to you. Now, here's how someone explained it to me. A man called Norman Moss explained Christmas to me like this. He said, just imagine that there's a God up in the sky somewhere. And let's imagine that we're down here, this right hand, this is you and me. And he said, just imagine that this book contains a list of all the things that you and I have ever done wrong, Adrian. And imagine this book keeps us from God. It separates us from God. We cannot, we might believe that God's there, but we can't actually know him personally. We're cut off from God by the wrong things we've done. He said, that's why if we stay like this, we'll always be separated from God. But he said, the great thing about Christmas, Adrian, is this. Look at my left hand. Imagine my left hand is Jesus of Nazareth. And imagine that at Christmas, Jesus came down from heaven and there's nothing separating him from God the Father. So there was nothing in between him and his Father God until, that is, when he was 33 years old, when a man called Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. And Norman said that when Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself all of the punishment for all of the sins of every single person who'd ever put their trust in him. Now, of course, Norman said that's bad news for Jesus as he dies on the cross, a death he didn't deserve. But Norman said, hey, it is enough good news for you and me because the moment we put our trust in Christ, the barrier's been removed. And do you know what? When Norman Moss slammed that book down from one hand to the other and I could see the barrier had gone, in that moment, I understood the Christians that I've met. I understood a book called Alan Brown, who was an architect. And he'd said, yeah, well, for many years I believed in God, but I didn't know him personally. Then I put my faith in Jesus Christ and his death for me on the cross, and my whole world jumped. There was a teacher uh, who had met from Roehampton, and she said to me, yeah, I went through life like that, and I believed in God, but I didn't know him personally. Then I put my faith in Christ and his death for me on the cross, and I started a relationship with God. In that moment, as Norman slammed the book from one hand to the other, For the first time in my life, even though I'd lived in this country my whole life, and I'd always believed in God, and I would have called myself a Christian, in that moment, as he slammed the book down from one hand to the other, for the first time I understood that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It is a relationship between us and God. And once the barrier is moved, once the barrier is removed, the relationship can begin. That is the glory of Christmas. Because if Jesus had never come, we would still be stuck like this, and there would be no hope. And there'll be no way forward for us. But because Jesus came at Christmas, there is hope. And when I became a Christian, I felt such a lifting of feelings of guilt and shame. Because from that point on, I knew as far as God is concerned, all my past is forgiven. All my sins are forgotten. And I can have peace with God. Through Jesus' death on the cross, my sins are removed. And he gives me his holiness, his perfection, and his righteousness. And that for me, folks, was a dream come true. So I want to finish up by saying this. 
I've discovered that actually I can live the life that I'd always wanted. Even though you never would have picked me out as particularly religious. But perhaps that was also true of those shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem. We don't know that they were particularly religious, but an angel appeared to them, and the angel said, the glory of the Lord shone around them. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And then suddenly, the Bible says, an enormous company of the heavenly hosts all appeared together in the sky. And they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. They announced peace. And I believe this, that if there is one thing that the 60 million stressed inhabitants of our island are looking for, it is peace. That is the thing that we most want at Christmas. It's peace. And as I was preparing this talk, one of my neighbours, two doors down, a bloke called Steve, knocked on my door. He wanted me to witness some legal documents for him. And he said this to me as I said goodbye to him, wished him a happy Christmas. He said, Adrian, I'm 57 years old and I just want less stress in my life. I can honestly say that since I put my faith in Christ, I have experienced peace with God. The stress that was there before has gone. Knowing for a fact all my sins are forgiven, the barrier is removed and I can start again. I can know the God who made the universe, a God who loved me enough to send his only son to die in my place. I realised I've got nothing left to prove either to myself or to anyone else. Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Miserables, he said this, life's greatest happiness is to be convinced you're loved. What a thing that is. What a great thing it is for me this Christmas to stand at a freezing bus stop in London holding my oyster card, but knowing in my heart I've got peace with God. What a thing it is for me 15 minutes later to be standing in a packed tube train with people all around me knowing I've got peace with God. Can I finish by asking you, do you think you've got that peace in your heart? Are you sure that peace is there? If you're not yet sure, would you like that peace? The reason that Christ came into the world at Christmas was so that you could have peace with God. So that you could enter, you and I could enter a relationship with God. So can I just invite you, if you've not already done so, why don't you do what the shepherds did? Go and investigate. Go and see for yourself. See if it's true. You've heard the fanfare. See if it's true. Check it out. I did that. And I was surprised by joy. You can receive this Christmas the greatest Christmas gift ever. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank you for listening to me tonight. It's been great being with you. God bless and good night.